Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Mike Morrow, Ron Hayes, and Jason Loftus, and Mark Raycroft. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed podcast. We've got a great show today. We've got a return guest, Drew Hamilton. Welcome back, Drew. Thanks for having me. And his business partner, Alex DeVries. Both of these guys together are operating Discover Churchill and are doing all kinds of trips. We'll fill you guys in later, but Alex, welcome. First time to the podcast. I'm excited to be here. I've, uh, I've listened to you guys a whole bunch, so it's nice to finally have an opportunity to, to partake. Absolutely. We look forward to hearing about what you guys are doing up there. And Michael Morrow is returning to the podcast as well. It's been a while since Michael's been on. He's kept himself busy. What have you been up to? It doesn't seem like that long, though, because I edit all the podcasts, so I feel like I'm a part of it. I just am <laughs> not on it. I'm still editing, though. Uh, i just been working on my van. I've been trying to get that restructured into something a little bit more usable. So long days and, and lots of fun, but it keeps me from the podcast. And not just working on the van, you rebuilt it, right? The whole inside, yeah. I mean, I've kept the bed part pretty much the same, but everything else inside of it's changed. And I moved the solar, I moved the plumbing, I moved I, every anything you could move in that thing other than the bed has been moved, which makes it more functional, but it's a lot of work. I, I, halfway through, I would have quit if I could have, but once you get halfway through, you pretty much are committed. So, so now we can probably start have another uh, week and a half. Forwarding your mail to the van down by the river? <laughs> I hope, Yeah. <laughs> It, with a with an Alaska zip code and down by the river. <laughs> so Drew, you've made some big changes since the last time you were on, and uh, you guys can both chime in on this. What uh, what all did those changes entail? Well, so we've we've crossed the border. We've actually we've moved to Churchill, Manitoba, and uh, really things are going so well. We rolled in right before polar bear season started, and then. Uh, now things have kind of calmed down. We're rolling right into the northern light season, and it's really just everything we could have uh, could have hoped for. And Alex, if you can describe to these guys, because you were doing this before, and kind of you and Drew have just partnered up, but tell us about the company. Tell us about Discover Churchill. I started Discover Churchill back in 2016 um, because I realized that there was a demand for um, – you know, a tour company to kind of cater to photographers and independent travelers, people that wanted to not be part of the bigger tour groups and, and people specifically looking to photograph wildlife at ground level. And so um, I started running tours. Uh, just it started off um, with a group of six photographers back to back two weeks in a row. And then it's, it's kind of grown from there. Um, and then we've started expanding to offering, you know, trips now in Northern light season and then trips during the summer and, and, uh, fall in Churchill before bear season actually starts. Um, typically times of the year that um, people don't normally visit Churchill, but, uh, there's tons to see and do up here. Can you explain what ground level is? I, I just want to kind of lay, set the scene for people. So I think 
the common thing that everybody used to do in Churchill was ride a Tundra buggy, right? Which is a That's huge right, yeah. vehicle with huge tires that can go out on the Tundra, but you're, you're on that vehicle. You never get off. Right. Whereas what you're doing is a little bit different. Kind of explain what that is just to bring people into the whole scene as to what's going on. Yeah. So we, we explore a network of trails that kind of extend from town into the wildlife management area. Um, we go out in, in four by four vehicles, we find the bears, and then we actually have the flexibility of getting out of the vehicle and on the ground to photograph bears at eye level. And it's not just, not just bears, there's foxes, there's Arctic hares, there's all kinds of birds up here too. Um, but just being able to get that nice low angle makes the wildlife, uh, more impressive. It's also smaller groups and things like that, that, uh, that really it's kind of the opposite of, of what you're dealing with when you're out on the, the big, uh, the big tundra vehicles, which are, which are great. And they've got their, their niche. Uh, but it's just something it's, it's seeing, seeing things from a, a different angle. I think what you said, Alex, is the, is the perfect thing. It's an independent traveler that is really into photography. Back in the day when everybody used to ride tundra buggies, they were a lot different than they are now, right? They were a lot lower to the ground. They were still fairly high, but they provided a level of safety. And then they would allow you to get out further onto the, uh, what would you guys call it? It's not necessarily ice because the ice isn't necessarily formed at that time, but the, out onto the tundra, right? So the, the, buggies, they, the buggies operate on uh, a network of trails that were put in place by the military when they were here. Uh, so they don't really go off the trail there. But yeah, they, they go out on the tundra, and, and I think the the original tundra buggies were also a little bit smaller. And easier to shoot from, whereas what you guys provide is, now you say you can get out of the vehicle. You can, but you're still very safe, and ultimately the bear safety is number one, right? So if there's a bear within five feet, you're not getting out of the vehicle. If there's a bear within 50 feet, you're not getting out of the vehicle. It's really in a safe situation with big lenses. It kind of explain that so that people understand that there is no way, shape or form that the bears are being, the bears are always first and then photography is second, but you can get some really good photography with the way you guys are doing it, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we're actually not able to approach a bear within a hundred meters. Uh, but if the bear approaches us, that's okay. So what we're constantly trying to do is anticipate bear behavior, try to predict which way it's moving and then try to get ahead of it and set up our photographers in a place where you can get that nice natural head on shot. Um, and then we let the bears come to us and, and the bear will kind of determine how comfortable it is with us. Is there a readily identifiable bears that show up year after year after year where you guys can learn behavior and learn habits and and have that predictability pay off because you know what's going on is that the situation i've only been there once so i don't know enough about kind of what's going on and how it all works yeah there's there's definitely bears that have their characteristics um you can generally tell them apart by some of the scarring on their faces but yeah i mean even even throughout a season we'll we'll often see the same bears you know day after day and some of them are a little bit more curious than others. Some of them are a little bit more cautious and you kind of get to learn and read that behavior. And, and that kind of determines, you know, how comfortable you are with your guests out of the vehicle. You know, it's really quite fascinating from a bear behavior standpoint too. Yeah. There are, uh, they are harder to tell apart than, than brown bears or grizzly bears uh, because on some level they're all white and fuzzy. Uh, but even, even identifying through time using, 
behavioral cues. Uh, so we've got the couple of bears that we've been seeing the last few years that that spar like they're just their buddies. And so we know if we can we can track those bears down, they're usually going to be putting on a good show for us. And so being able to identify those bears through time and and know what to expect and and where they might be turning up, what are the what are the neighborhoods they like and things like that. It's really quite rewarding when we can when we can craft an experience that gets the uh, uh, that highlights some of those unique behaviors that you see here in Churchill. Alex, you said you started the company in 2016, but how long have you been up there guiding for these bears? Well, I, I started, um, I first traveled up to Churchill 13 years ago. It was at the end of summer and I had always wanted to visit Churchill. I'd been really high up on my list and I just happened to see an ad in the paper that said 60% off to anywhere in Canada. It was by Via Rail, which is uh, the train that services Churchill. And so I booked a ticket on a Tuesday. I left two days later on Thursday and it takes 48 hours to get here by train. So um, I arrived on a Saturday and within 48 hours, I got to see bears, belugas and Northern Lights. And I was instantly hooked. I, I fell in love with this place. And um, when I left, I knew that I wanted to come back the following year and, and work. So I started asking around and um, started applying for jobs and I actually got um, offered a job to manage the Seaport Hotel and Restaurant, which is uh, the only hotel and restaurant that's open in Churchill year-round. And I feel like anyone that um, lives in Churchill has at some point or another worked there. Um, but that kind of opened the door for me. And I worked from September until January. Um, so I, I've worked bear season and then stayed on a little bit later. And then in that time, I had saved up enough money to, to start traveling. And, and I ended up traveling Asia for nine months. And then I ran out of money and came back to Churchill and did it all over again. And then I went to, I think the next trip was actually South America and Antarctica. And then the next year I did Africa. And, uh, and I just, I, I kept working seasonally and, and traveling in the off season. Um, and then it got to the point where, you know, I, I felt like I needed to establish some roots in town um you know the guiding didn't really start until uh I guess eight years ago i started working for um great white bear as as a bus driver and then i also worked in the summertime for sea north tours as a beluga whale guide um actually doing snorkeling tours with beluga whales at the time which unfortunately is no longer allowed but um yeah, I, I still do some guiding for Sea North Tours as well. Um, Churchill is, you know, probably known for its polar bears more than anything, and and then the Northern Lights. But it's also the Beluga whale capital. There's uh, 3,500 to 4,000 whales that migrate back to the Churchill River every summer, um, which is just mind blowing. Now the Churchill River is where they go to kind of shed the or they they gather, I believe. Yes, they, they migrate back to the Churchill River every year because uh, early in the summertime, the capeling, which is this tiny fish that they feed on, uh, they spawn there. Uh, so they go there for feeding, uh, but the Churchill River estuary also protects them from their main predator, which is the orca. So the Hudson Bay does actually have orcas. And because they're protected in the river, that's where they go to mate and that's where they go to give birth to their calves. You know, I had a question from earlier. How big is Churchill? Because you were saying just about everybody's worked at the hotel there. How big is the town itself? Um, well, I mean, you can walk from one end of town to the other in uh, in probably about 10 minutes. 
Uh, I think at the moment, the population hovers around 850. Um, it's, it's a very seasonal town. I mean, Michael, you've been to, you've been to Churchill, you know, that, uh, one of the most recognizable landmarks is the granary. That's the port or that's the town's primary employer, which actually hasn't been operational for a while. So our population has declined a little bit in the last few years and has relied on tourism more than anything, really. You know, it's interesting, Churchill, though it only has 800 people-ish, uh, it definitely feels like they're right around 800 people, uh, it's kind of got a bit of an overbuilt feel that, you know, because it was a military town during the Cold War for so long that provided um, some perks of infrastructure, like we've got a uh, an airport that can that can accommodate bigger jets than any town of 800 people I've ever been in. Actually, it was so long that uh, for a long time, it was on the list of places you could emergency land the... Uh, the space shuttle, if we were still in the space shuttle business. <laughs> and so you land at one end and then you got a taxi all the way up to the terminal and it can take quite a while. Uh, but also, you know, the military infrastructure that, that gives us the trails that we can, we can drive around on and look for, for polar bears. And so though it's, though it's a town of 800, it, it kind of has a feel like it's a little bit, a uh, little bit larger than that or a little bit overbuilt. So you guys have tons of different tours and we're going to get into all of them, but can you just highlight a day, a polar bear day. If you're out with a bunch of clients from whatever time you get up to whatever time you go back to the hotel or whatever the accommodations are, just give us a snapshot into what actually goes on and how you guys operate those tours. We basically pick our guests up right at eight o'clock. Uh, we try to get out ahead of everyone else, uh, try to get that nice morning light. Um, we have four vehicles that go out every day and, and we're in constant communication with each other. So we'll kind of split up and scout different areas. And then once we find something, we're able to let each other know and then, uh, and then basically hang out and take pictures of whatever we've found. Um, we generally, we will have lunch out on the tundra. There's, I mean, we're usually not too far away from either the research center or town where we can, you know, stop and, and top up on tea or coffee if we have to, or use the bathrooms. But uh, for the most part, we pretty much stay out in the field. And uh, again, because we primarily cater to photographers, often that means just waiting out a bear for, uh, if we have this shot in mind, it means waiting out the bear to, for it to finally, you know, get up and, and start walking around. Uh, so I, I feel like that's also kind of what sets us apart from some of the other tours where if you're, uh, if you're paired up with, you know, regular travelers, they might lose interest in a bear that's been sleeping for a while, not knowing that, you know, it takes patience to kind of uh, have the shot that you have in mind work out for you. And then, um, yeah, we pretty much stay out as late as we can, pretty much until the, uh, uh, <laughs> the light runs out. We've actually joked around that we might have to start charging a Sony price because we've noticed that, <laughs> want to stay out a lot longer than, uh, than some of the other photographers but um yeah we kind of chase that light and then uh we'll head back to town and then during bear season you know it's not the the optimal time to view the northern lights but we're we're kind of always watching the skies and if uh if the aurora is visible before midnight we'll we'll pick guests back up and and head out and photograph the, the northern lights 
you know what I, I really love about leading uh, leading tours like this uh, because because we do specialize in photographers and we've got these small vehicles that we're, we're cruising around in. It almost feels like uh, some of those weeks during polar bear season feel like photography camp, you know, because you've got all these photographers rolling around. So we're there's a lot of camera nerdery that goes along with it. There's a lot of uh, bear behavior talk and people are we get really good crews. And I was just thinking of a situation. Uh, you know, kind of put real world application on what we were just talking about. I was out earlier. Uh, so it was probably, it must've been October because uh, Jenny was here, uh, Darcy Khan and Max Block were all, we were all in a vehicle together. And we had this male bear that was sleeping on the rocks, which for most folks is, you know, you snap a photo and then you keep rolling. But we just noticed that the way that the sun was going to be oriented to this bear in about an hour, um, if things came together, that bear was going to have perfect rim light on it. So a polar bear standing on top of the rocks with the sun behind it, just having that golden, golden or silver, they're polar bears, <laughs> the, the silver shimmer. And so we sat there for, for a couple hours waiting for this bear to stand up and I'll be damned if it didn't stand up right in front of the sun. And we all got this, this fantastic, like it was the, it was the shot of uh, that week anyway. Um, but it took, commitment. Like we had to put in our time, we had to, to wait for it. And, and everybody was rewarded. Uh, it was really some great shots that came out of that encounter. Well, I think the cool thing for you guys is you're both photographers, right? So you having the knowledge of the location and then having the pho photographic knowledge that just puts you the participants so far ahead for every tour that you do. Right. Well, and the fact yeah. that we live here, like, you, you know, like, you know, where, where they're going to go and you know, all the angles and things like that. So being able to, to say, oh, well, if that bear continues on that route, we could pick it up down that way. And the sun's doing this. If we wanted backlight, if we wanted front light, we can really craft some, some excellent scenarios with these, with these local, with this local knowledge. You guys have referenced polar bear season a couple of times. Explain to us what polar bear season is. Is that like a certain, is it? what October 24th through November 3rd and you're done or what is it? Well, you know what? I, I think instead of calling it polar bear season, maybe we should call it tourist season because that's when <laughs> uh, the tourists head up there because they think it's the best time to, to view wildlife. And it's, I mean, it's, it's different every year, right? You can have good weeks, you can have bad weeks. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize that you can actually see bears in Churchill in the summertime. But um, in theory, in, in October, well, not in theory, in October, November, uh, polar bears start becoming more active in anticipation of that ice forming. Um, so polar bears don't hibernate, but they, they do go into a bit of a walking hibernation, which means during the summer months, they're conserving their energy and they're kind of lethargic. And you can often see them sleeping on the rocks or, or cooling off in the water on some of the warmer days. But um, as temperatures drop in Churchill and, and ice begins to form, they start kind of pacing up and down that shoreline, waiting for that first ice uh, to form so that they can head back out and, and start hunting seals. That's what they're waiting for. With the ability to cater to photographers and, and kind of photographers' needs, you guys talked about the military trail system. Is that what you're limited to traveling as well or is that or do you have a road system that you can travel in addition to where the tundra buggies can go both there's there's uh, a series of smaller trails um outside of the actual wildlife management area that we have access to um and and those were also put in place by the military and then 
yeah, there's there's an area a little bit farther east where the buggies go, and then there's Bird Cove, uh, which is part of the wildlife management area that we uh, operate in as well. And those are, uh, again, some of the larger trails that were put in place when the military was here. So we, we never go off the trail um, ripping up the tundra. And no one wants to photograph right. bears sure. with walking on tire tracks, right? So we try to protect and preserve the tundra as much as possible. Now, when you do your beluga trips is that all in raft or is that in do you have the ability to fly and get the overhead pictures the the beluga tours are primarily done from a zodiac and uh, and so one of the things that we're working on right now is putting together a summer package where we can actually charter a zodiac and then explore up the coast and um, as i mentioned in the summer months you know often you see bears kind of hanging out close to the shoreline and, and sometimes you even see them in the water cooling off and so by chartering a, a Zodiac to yourself, you kind of have a little bit more of that flexibility to kind of leave the Churchill River and explore the Hudson Bay coastline. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of aerial shots, um, there's, there's really very few areas within Churchill on land where you're able to um, operate a drone. But um, if you actually go up the shoreline um, there's no limitations there and, and you can get some really amazing aerial shots of pods of beluga whales, um, with a drone. That would be my, that would be my goal. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, just before I forget, I wanted to touch base on something that, uh, that Drew mentioned, uh, which is, I think really important to talk about is, um, our trips really do have that, that photography camp feel. Um, and I think for me, uh, having, you know, lived in Churchill for 13 years now. Um, sometimes you kind of become a little bit jaded. I mean, I still appreciate the wildlife and the nature here, but sometimes all it takes is, is you know, being with someone else that just views things slightly differently to kind of get those creative juices going again. And, and I often find that, you know, in our, in our tiny groups, um, you know, we can be photographing the same thing, but looking at it slightly differently and then comparing images and being like, Oh, wow, I love what you did here, you know? So I feel that's that our, our guests really feed off of each other. And, and I know I definitely as a guide feed off of um, their creativity as well. I always look forward to when Dave Sanford shows up, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you've been, you've been working so hard to get, get polar bear season up and running or whatever. And then all of a sudden Dave shows up and, and, and it feels like, uh, oh yeah, this is, this is how it's supposed to be. Yeah. yeah Dave's <laughs> definitely got an eye for the light and those unique opportunities. So not only that, I, I think what sets Dave apart is that he, he truly appreciates every moment that he's out there. And, uh, and he reminds you of that too. There are opportunities to shoot video as well, right? It's not all just photography, but it's harder because you do have to most of the time get out of the car and you have to set up a tripod and all that jazz. So you don't get as many opportunities depending on the situations with the bears, but there are opportunities for that, right? Yeah, definitely. We do, we do work with, so a lot of times if we have uh, film crews, you know, we'll take them out exclusively. So for folks that are looking for, for video, we do have an option where you can get a vehicle all to yourself. And, and that's really what usually folks in that situation, Michael, 
Uh, well, and Ron now too. <laughs> That's really what you guys are looking for. So you can you can contact us about video specific stuff, and we can we can definitely craft a situation that's going to be perfect for you. Cool. I just wanted to make sure that people knew that that was an opportunity. I mean, obviously, you're going to get a lot more stuff with stills because a lot of times you can shoot from the car, and you can still do that with video. You're just not going to get that super solid, really nice, tight footage. But it it could work, and especially with phone or social media stuff. I mean, I'm sure you can get that all day long. I don't know. I got a no, Ford that, truck. It's super stable. It's like a rock. Can... <laughs> <laughs> that's not the only polar bear opportunity that you guys offer, right? There are some other opportunities. What What is that? So it, it goes back to what Alex was talking about and what made him fall in love with Churchill that first time. Like what we've been talking about so far is what people expect. That's what people are looking for when they when they think Churchill like we say, everybody's probably conjuring it, you know, snow and polar bears and things like that. But, you know, Alex fell in love with Churchill in the fall. Like there's there's this very diverse time in Churchill, which has so much opportunity. Um, so what, Alex, what what all was it about the, the, the fall excursions that, that drew you in? Uh, I think that first time that I visited Churchill, I was just uh, blown away and, and overwhelmed at at everything that there was here. Uh, you know, being able to see bears, belugas, and northern lights in in forty eight hours was just kind of a dream trip for me. Um, I think for me, you know, having lived in Winnipeg and, and always wanted to visit Churchill, it instilled a, a huge sense of pride in being Manitoban. Um, I think stepping off the train and, and smelling that sea breeze and just remembering that the Hudson Bay is technically part of the Arctic Ocean and being able to tip your toes or dip your toes in, in the Arctic Ocean was uh, was pretty amazing for me. Um, but it was just it was just that greater awareness to your surroundings, um, whether it was constantly looking over your shoulder to see if there was bears or getting into the habit of, of looking up at the night sky if, if you know, you can see, see the Northern Lights um, or even just, you know, jumping in a kayak and being surrounded by hundreds of whales. It was that that connection with nature um, that really made me fall, fall in love with this place. So I should point out, too, that Alex has uh, a photo gallery here in town, the only photo gallery that Churchill has to offer. <laughs> and it's full of all these shots. And, and you know, I've been I've been working with Alex long enough that. I feel like the gallery should be called like something like uh, amazing shots that Alex has taken while Drew was standing right next to him, struggling to get anything at all. <laughs> and I, I flipped through his calendar and I'm like, oh yeah, I was, I remember that I was standing next to him. And so really the reason I wanted to come to Churchill and uh, was to learn Alex's secrets. So maybe if we just, uh, particularly on Aurora, you know, uh, like if we could just take a second and, and ask Alex, so, so what are your secrets and why, why haven't you shared them with me yet? Uh, honestly, uh, my biggest secret is, uh, it's really not a secret. I, I think photography 101 is just putting yourself in the right place at the right time. And for me, that right place is, is Churchill. Um, it kind of speaks for itself. You know what? There's a couple of things with that. So, Drew, you and I were talking it last year, I think. What is the actual latitude? Because it's not quite as far north as you almost assume, right? But it's far enough to have the conditions that are needed for those, those things to go on. What's the actual latitude? It's, it's not what we would assume, right? No, it, it, Churchill feels a lot farther north than it actually is, but we're only at, at 58 degrees. Which is, what, what was it in the U.S. where it, 
that it would be equivalent to? It's roughly the same as being in, in like Kodiak or, or Katmai. Uh, so, you know, technically, because I was coming here from Anchorage or, or even Homer, um, I was having to come south to see polar bears. And it's just kind of the way the way weather patterns and the way the, um, the continent works. Uh, there, it just is, is further south. Uh, and that also pays benefits for, uh, for aurora season. You know, these winter months when we get, once this bay actually, well, it's frozen now, but um, once the bay freezes and you get a lot of that moisture in the air, we have a lot of uh, clear nights for aurora. And so if you're, you're looking at the auroral oval, um, you think of the places that, which is centered on the magnetic pole. So if you're thinking of the, the places that have the best statistical probability of seeing aurora, you think of places like Tromsø, Norway, you think of places like Iceland, you think of places like Southern Greenland, uh, you think of Churchill, you think of Yellowknife. And then people in Fairbanks will tell you it's Fairbanks, but it's actually, <laughs> it's actually north of Fairbanks. So we are like the auroral equivalent of being in Wiseman, Alaska or, or Tromsø or some of those, we are directly under the auroral path. And if you cross-reference that with days that have the most clear skies, uh, Churchill's in the top one or two places that you can come consistently see the Northern Lights. And particularly here, like next few years, we are in the top of the, the solar maximum curve. So these next few years are just gonna be off the hook for, for Aurora. So being able to, to basically have all this right outside your front door, um, you know, I've, I'm coming here from Alaska, I'm used to getting in boats and small planes and just having, uh, having the opportunity to just do this all from one location has been amazing, life-changing. Well, I was so, going to reference that later, but the fact that you moved from Alaska to Churchill speaks volumes about Churchill, right? I mean, you're willing to change your location and and not miss any opportunities. You're, you're, it's not the same opportunities. It's obviously different, but it must be really good up there if you were willing to do that. I think it's been an upgrade. <laughs> I'm taking it so far. And I've been coming here for so long uh, that every time... And I used to come back for distinct seasons. I'd come for polar bear season. I'd come for aurora season. And it always just bummed me out to have to leave. And so now, uh, now I, I don't have to leave. I can just I can just stay. And like I look out my window and watch Arctic foxes run by, or just you know going for a drive and finding a polar bear kind of thing. It's it's really just such an amazing place. It's almost like this place should be a UNESCO world heritage site or, or something just like it's, it's mind blowing the opportunities that are, that are here. So let's talk about that a little bit, Alex, as far as the Aurora opportunities, because obviously the night is lasting quite a lot longer in the, in the spring or late winter, spring. And those Aurora opportunities, obviously when you have people, come up specifically for Aurora, how long compared to other locations are you able to photograph and does it turn into a straight nighttime trip? Yeah, I mean, I've I've been involved with Aurora Tours for the last eight years and um, there's really only been, from memory, two or three trips uh, where people have gotten skunked on Aurora. Um, and, and two of those trips happened when Churchill got hit with one of the worst blizzards that, uh, in the history of, of Churchill. Um, 
it was this 72 hour event. We had wind gusts of 120 Ks. Um, we got about as much snow over that 72 hours as we normally get over an entire year. It was insane. There's, um, we had to declare a state of emergency. Um, but I, I think Drew nailed it when he said that, you know, when the Hudson Bay freezes over, it loses very little moisture. So we have mostly clear skies. So on average, you know, some of the trips up to, to view the Northern Lights are, are generally three or four nights. And that gives you pretty good odds of, of seeing the Aurora at least one of those nights. Um, you know, Iceland does a phenomenal job of marketing itself as a Northern Lights viewing destination. And, and you know, the landscape in Iceland is beautiful, but it's also right in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. So you're dealing with a lot of cloud cover. And I can't tell you how many people that I've spoken to that have gone to Iceland for one or two weeks and, you know, didn't have a cloudless night once. So I think when you just combine all that, um, it really sets Churchill apart from some of the other viewing destinations in the world for, for Northern Lights. And I think the other thing that you guys offer having the military history there is you've got some unique foregrounds that you can utilize. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, Ron. Yeah, we so we actually have uh, this rocket range and this launch tower, which they actually used to fire rockets into the atmosphere to conduct tests on the Northern Lights. Um, the military had discovered that really strong Northern Lights had the ability to disrupt enemy radar. And so they were looking for ways to control it. Um, so one of the places we like to, to take our guests is to actually photograph this abandoned rocket range now with the Aurora dancing behind it. What are some of the other ones too? Because I got a chance to do, I think it was a, an old cemetery. I did an old wrecked plane. I did just regular tundra. Yeah, there's, there's so there's some much. really there's some really cool photo ops um, in Churchill. And the way that we've actually structured our tours is that we will we'll go out in our vehicles and, and chase the Aurora based on where it is in the sky. Um, sometimes, you know, there's patches of clear skies as well. And we just have to kind of track that down. And based on that, you know, we'll either go to Miss Piggy's plane wreck, or we can go to uh, Churchill's golf balls, which is an abandoned radar station. Um, I mentioned the rocket range. Um, if conditions are, are good, um, we'll even hike out to the Ithaca shipwreck, uh, which is just off the coast of, of Churchill. Um, and then, you know, there's all kinds of other viewing locations. Like we'll use the Wapuska Adventures dog yard, which uh, I don't know if you can see, but on the top shelf there, there's a teepee set up, which is really cool when it's illuminated to use that as a foreground subject to photograph with the aurora behind it. Um, and then sometimes just, just shooting straight up again, because of our geographic location and where that auroral oval is, you know, we can sometimes just point the camera straight up and get these really cool Corona shots. Um, basically where it feels like you're almost getting sucked into another vortex, uh, when, when that Aurora is right above you and, and dancing overhead. Brings up another question. So when you have people come up specifically for Aurora trips, obviously you know, polar bears, Arctic fox, you're going to want long lenses, but what is the perfect kit for someone that's coming up to shoot Aurora? Now, hold on. And before you answer that, include clothing too. <laughs> yes, that would, that would be part of the kit. Drew, you want to take that one? Well, sure. Um, so we'll start with the, the camera stuff and, and really, um, you know, a lot of 
cameras today are are so fancy and you're basically rolling with your your computer and a lot of people have switched over to the uh, the mirrorless cameras and things like that so um, we're seeing a lot of the mirrorless cameras and basically what it takes is a fast ultra wide lens so you want something in kind of that uh, 14 to 24 millimeter um, range and then 2.8 or faster and there are so many different options for all the different camera companies um, I shoot with a, a Sony a7s uh, II, uh, so I'm one model behind uh, and then I, I've paired that with their 14 millimeter uh, whatever their new one was their fast one and then uh, then I've also got a, a 24 millimeter Rokinon uh, cine lens that's a T15 that actually one of the things that I've really uh, I don't shoot as many stills as I, I, I used to because I really enjoy doing video of the Aurora and I've, I've gotten to the point where it's it's I've got it pretty dialed with the settings and things like that so I can I can help talk people through that um, so if you've got the right gear there's just so many possibilities uh, camera wise and then I know Alex uh, Alex shoots the the Nikon systems and has been uh, rocking the D850 which frankly in terms of image quality and uh, and just, and you pair that with their the Nikon glass uh, I still would say that Nikon D850 is is the best Aurora camera on the market like I'm yeah. hard pressed to come up with something better you know what I'm I'm with Drew on this one is I'm I'm starting to get more into uh the video and, and I've been doing some time-lapse stuff and um, <laughs> I just need to follow through and, and commit to actually setting and forgetting the camera. Uh, but when the Aurora is ripping, I, I always want to take stills as well. So I think I got to get a, get a second body and just set that up and then take stills as well. And then in terms of clothing, which is, you know, in many ways more important than, uh, although it should be pointed out that we've been having great success with our, our guests who have been showing up with the new iPhones. <laughs> so if somebody's got oh. the iPhone 12 or the iPhone 13, you can come up with some pretty decent stills and uh, and some video as well. It's still not close to the quality that you can get out of the, the some of those low light Sonys and things like that. Uh, but but even if if you're just wanting to snap something for for the Instagram story or things like that. The iPhones have, have really upped their game in the low light department, but, and they fit nicely in the jacket of your ultra warm parka that you need to, uh, <laughs> to come view the lights here in Churchill. It is, it's a, it's, you know, it's considered the subarctic, but it is an Arctic environment. It can get potentially very cold here. And so people are, are rocking the big parkas. Um, they're rocking uh, burly snow pants. Um, there is a place here in Churchill that rents, uh, appropriate outerwear, things like that. Um, I recommend bringing all of your own underlayers because renting underwear is uh, it's just <laughs> awkward. So, so, but it is a matter of of dressing in layers so that you can you know peel off or adjust or things like that. So, I rock the old school uh, bunny boots, the old Alaskan classic military. It kind of fits with the old military vibe here in Churchill. Uh, but then there have been a, a bunch of new boots come out that are, are really popular. I know uh, Max Block and and uh, Deep Cove Johnny. And all, you know, I saw the Instagram handles. Brooke Little Bear. They're all rocking these Fabuki boots. Have you guys seen those? The, the ultra light. They're from. Mm -hmm. 
somewhere else. I don't even know where they're from, but we saw a bunch of them come through during, during polar bear season. And uh, we're going to see a bunch more come through during Aurora season here. And so I think, I don't know, we'll see how they do, but I think I'm going to start recommending those because they come in flashy colors to match every outfit. Um, yeah. Because that's versatile. important. Well, yeah. you just don't want to clash like <laughs> color coordination <laughs> and, and during the Aurora. And then, uh, you know, one of the trickiest things is always your hands, right? You know, you're not theoretically on an Aurora trip, you're not having to handle your camera all that much because uh, you can just sit it and, and replicate the shot over and over and over, whether through an intervalometer or, or hitting the button or the cable release, things like that. Uh, but keeping your hands warm. And so I usually go with a little lighter glove than people might expect. Uh, but I have a parka that's got fleece lined pockets so that I'm not having to pull off big mittens and things like that just to push a button or make an adjustment, things like you know, of that nature. Uh, so I'll go with lighter gloves and then I just jam my hands in the pockets while, while the, uh, uh, while the camera is doing its thing, uh, because these are long exposures, uh, you know, usually between two and 30 seconds. And so if you're used to shooting wildlife, um, where you could easily rip off thousands of photos in a, you know, a single polar bear encounter, uh, with the Aurora at the end of the night, you usually come home unless you're doing a time-lapse or something like that. You come home with a lot fewer shots, uh, because they are longer. You know, you want to keep them going. And so uh, like Julie and I went out the other night and I came back and I felt like I'd been shooting for a long time. And I really only had like 30 images because they were long exposures and I was moving around and doing different stuff. So um, and then in terms of uh, keeping your face and your, your your head warm, you know, a good hat with a good uh, hood that'll come out of your parka and then having a buff, uh, which is a Canadian company. They make these neck tubes. Uh, <laughs> that are either fleece lined or, you know, they break the wind, they keep the wind from going down your collar and things like that. Um, so with a combination of those things, uh, properly layered, uh, you can be quite comfortable out in these super cold, uh, super cold temperatures. How do the cameras handle the cold? Like if you're sitting there for, I mean, what's the length of time that you guys would be out? Is it two hours? Is it four hours? Is it dictated by the Aurora? What, what is it? And then how do you get your cameras to handle that temperature for that long. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, the conditions definitely dictate how long we're, we're out there for. And, and we definitely like to give guests the option of, of heading back if they're cold or, you know, they're, they've run out of camp or battery life. Um, but I mean, we'll, we'll chase the auroras as long as we have to. Um, there's definitely challenges. I know that's uh, my camera. The mirror has definitely frozen up on me. I've, I've shot blind sometimes where my control panel uh, isn't visible anymore. Um, I know some of the mirrorless cameras, uh, their battery life doesn't last as long. So uh, sometimes for that, you know, we'll often leave the bodies outside as well, because as soon as you bring it into a, a warm environment, it fogs up. So sometimes it's leaving the body outside and just taking the battery out and then, uh, you know, putting it in your pocket and sometimes even having those little hand warmers or toe warmers um, to just give it a little bit of extra heat will kind of, um, preserve and extend your battery life. Um, but yeah, shooting in the cold is, is challenging. So that's the biggest concern is the batteries, number one. But then you can have the LCD screen or whatever kind of screen you got go down. Or you could have, what about like frosting and stuff on the lens? I mean, is that a big concern? And 
and I have heard where people will make like a little glove for their camera and use the heat, the hand warmers or toe warmers inside to keep it heated up a little bit. But that to me is, uh, you know, it's like, could I do that? Or is that going to cause more condensation or who knows? I mean, is that some of the things you can do? Can you, can you warm up your camera and make it last longer? I, I would take out the battery and just focus on the battery, uh, not the body. Cause you don't want to, yeah. I mean, as soon as your lens fogs up, uh, that's, that's pretty much it for the night. And what's the temperature we're talking? You guys we're talking cold, right? But are we talking? So let's talk in, if you talk in Celsius, I'll convert it on the what's show notes page. But if you talk in Fahrenheit, that'd be a little bit better for the U S well, audience. Well, anyway. Let's start off at minus 40 because that's where it evens out. Right. Right. Um, so, I mean, in Churchill, it really all comes down to the wind. Um, when there's no wind and it's, it's calm, it's, it can be quite pleasant. Um, but we're kind of right on, on the, the shore and we get that really cold north wind that comes off the bay. Um, and so we, we kind of take that into consideration as well when we're picking um, locations to view and photograph the aurora. So if, if there's a lot of wind, we'll actually try to seek some protection in the boreal forest and then, you know, play with the trees um, as a foreground subject to, uh, to photograph the aurora. But um, yeah, during northern light season, the temperature can can range anywhere between you know minus ten and minus fifty degrees Celsius. So we're talking just above zero and all the way down to minus forty fifty. Yeah, yeah. But like In I said, it's, it's that wind that that kills you. Right. I had that scenario just the other night, actually. Uh, Julie and I were out driving around. We were along the coast, and it was it was windy, and so we ended up going down into the boreal forest and just uh, walking couple minutes out into this trail and it was perfectly uh perfectly calm and still and the the forest really blocked that wind and so if 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 one option isn't working for you you've got another and we only have you know 40 kilometers of roads that we can utilize here but the amount of variety that you can in terms of foregrounds in terms of protection and things like that um that you can encounter in that limited amount of roads is is quite amazing uh, and then Alex and I were out running around on the Churchill River getting ice formations the other day. Uh, it really is just kind of amazing, again, at the, at the diversity of stuff you have just right here. Um, and so we were, yeah. we were talking about batteries before that. And I, I know I've come up with uh, – so I switched to mirrorless, right? I'm, I'm talking about that Sony A7S II, which is kind of notorious for poor uh, battery life. They've upgraded it in the 3. Um Alex has the, the mirrored camera, so his batteries last a lot longer, but I've gone to a three battery rotation, basically. So my camera will be on my tripod, and then when one battery gets down to the point where it's not working, I'll just pop that battery out, put it in an inside pocket, put a new battery in, and then I'll shoot till that goes down, and then I'll put a new battery in, and by the time that third battery runs out, the first battery has warmed to the point that I'm back in business. And so just having, and it, it, it takes some important uh, pocket management. <laughs> you know, same thing with memory cards when you're, I, I've seen Michael out in the field and always the memory cards and where they're going and you got to keep track of it. But once you get a, a system in place and we help people with, with all that, uh, it's actually pretty slick. Uh, that's another reason where I just wear those light gloves because I can pop open the, the battery cover on and throw a new one in without missing a beat. Just a quick word from our sponsors. The first sponsor that I'm going to include is Cold Case Gear. Uh, it's a Colorado company, and they make 
basically insulated cell phone cases. However, these cases are uh, advantageous to our audience because they can also be used for camera batteries during the cold weather and extend the life of your smaller batteries. They'll fit the larger batteries for the, the pro model cameras, but you can fit multiple smaller batteries in these cold cases and then put them inside. They're, they are insulated and you can check them out at coldcasegear.com and uh, it, it is a great product to extend the life of your camera batteries during the winter months. It's really important to have them, I think. I can think of a lot of applications. This year we were photographing moose in Alaska in September and it snowed. And so it got very cold. And it doesn't take up a lot of space. So if you just carry it around in your bag and just have it, then you have the opportunity to, you know, if your camera's sitting out there, and it's just getting cold and you're waiting for an animal to do something or you're waiting, that battery is just going down and down and down. And as long as you got some sort of rotation going on, much like Drew was talking about in the podcast, that is just going to extend your shooting time for sure. I don't think you're going to hurt your batteries too much when you do that sort of thing, but the time you have to shoot that day really can be increased if you manage them properly i mean it's no not much bigger than a cell phone right because it it's is not intended much bigger for cell than phones. a cell phone at all but it does it does fit several batteries in it when you uh when you use it in the field so another sponsor which we talk about all the time and we've got a new deal with these guys we have uh, precision camera and i just talked to mike this morning and we were like hey it's a new quarter let's come up with a new promotion and in the process of that, we were just talking about how business was going. And he was telling me that used camera business is really good right now. And I said, well, maybe there's some sort of promotion we can do with that. And he's like, yeah, as a matter of fact, we're always looking for good used camera equipment. And they do a lot of little events around their Texas area. But I said, you know, Wildland Exposed has a nationwide audience. And maybe there's people out there that want to sell some gear. It's super easy to do on their website. You can just go to, uh, I think it's... I looked at it this morning. I used gear. You click on that. And then from there, you can get an estimate. So you can list what you have for sale. So whatever camera body, whatever lenses, whatever, whatever. And you can have to tell them what kind of condition it is in. And once you do that, it'll tell you what you can expect to get when you submit it to the website. Then what you do is you send your equipment down there and they verify that the way you rated it, the, the quality, the the shape it was in was equal to what you said it was on the website. Once all that's done, then they just send you a check in the mail, which is pretty cool. And this promotion for this particular quarter is going to be any wild and exposed listener that sends their stuff in and wants to get some cash is going to get 10% more than what they would normally pay. So that's kind of cool. I mean, you, you turn in a camera, let's, you know, we all use these pretty high end bodies, right? So let's say you turned in a one DX and, Let's, these are just round, I have no idea what they pay for it, but let's say they pay a thousand bucks. That's a hundred dollars. That's not mm -hmm. too bad, not too shabby. So the way yeah. you get that is you go into the website, and if you look when you're rating all your equipment, there was one other little section near the bottom that says "Tell me more," and when you go to that section, you just type in "wild and exposed." So that's the way you're going to capitalize on this sort of, or this particular promotion. Yeah. And it's not tell me more. It says more information. So if you want, if you just type in there wild and exposed, you're going to get an extra 10%, which is pretty awesome. 
And if you're in the market for new gear, it's a good opportunity to trade it and not have to go through the hassle of selling individual components as well and, and get a little bit more for it. Most of the time you're going to get a little bit more if you sell it on your own, but I never do. I um, always trade my gear in and then just go for and do it exactly what you said. I just apply it towards the next whatever new thing it's out there. Lastly, we have, so in this particular podcast that you are listening to, we, we talked about the opportunity to jump on some of the workshops that we are either promoting for somebody else or some of our own. And we have two bear trips planned for this coming year. There's one spring trip and then there's one fall trip and it's all Alaska coastal brown bears. That's going to be going to different places just because of the time of year. But we have one spot that opened up in our first trip because that filled up really fast. But we had a, a couple that has a family emergency come up and only one of them is going to be able to go. So we had a second spot or one spot open up on that trip. And then the fall trip, we haven't advertised that much, but there's actually four spots available there. So if you're interested, hit up the show notes for this particular podcast and I'll have a link to the workshops. And once you go to that link, you can click on either one, read about it. And then if you're interested, there's a place to call Dave at AK Adventures and get yourself signed up. He'll tell you all the particulars and what you got to do. And then you can read about what we're going to do and some of the things you might see and then also see and photograph. And then also you'll know what to bring and that sort of thing. Yeah, and we'll, we'll all be staying on a boat. We'll have an opportunity to talk about your gear, help set your gear up, um, talk about adventures in the field, you know, each day after, after the return, Mike is going to be on the boat. And if you are looking to do some video, there's nobody better to, to pick his brain and, uh, and learn a little bit more, kind of deepen your wealth of knowledge while you're on that trip. The first trip is, uh, more spring bears, so you're looking at sows and cubs a little bit more than you would be on the second trip. And the second trip would be fishing bears. So it's a great opportunity to get some quality images, spend some good time in the field, uh, but also, you know, just experience Alaska in a way that most people don't have the opportunity to get away from society for a few days. And that never, that never disappoints. Yeah, and this boat is pretty awesome. It's got everything you could want, plenty of space to set up your stuff, and the food is really good. The The people that run the boat, the captain and his, his crew, are super awesome people, and it's just amazing to be able to be out there. And The cool thing, too, is if you go to a place and it's not very good, no problem. You just pull up Move the anchor and the head on to the next yep. spot, so it's, it's kind of cool to have that flexibility. And Dave, who runs those tours all year long, he is totally dialed in with that whole area. So if for some reason uh, uh, on the fish running stuff or the, the bears fishing stuff, if, if there aren't fish at this particular river, chances are there might be just down the, down the way a bit, and he'll know exactly where to go. So I expect it to be really, really busy. The spring trip, man, there's just so many different things. It's pretty unusual to go out that early 
because um, it is fairly early in the schedule. But Drew had, you know, everybody knows Drew from the podcast and this particular podcast, but Drew uh, guided this same time last year. He had the most fun on this trip than any other trip that he's done in the spring just because, you know, and, you know, conditions are going to change and years are going to change, but they saw wolves, they saw bears, they had uh, sows with cubs, they had big males, they had all kinds of activity. So should be a good one. Absolutely. Let's get back to the podcast. So you were talking about ice formations on the river. Can you do northern lights with that? That would be kind of cool, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think of that. Who's that guy we followed in Alaska, Drew Tasker, Tasker, where he would. Oh yeah, he's got some fantastic the, stuff. Yeah, I could see all kinds of cool stuff where you light up the ice formations and also have aurora going on or something like that. I mean, sure. So sky's the limit, right? With you guys, if somebody rolls into town and says, "Hey, can we try this, this, and this?" Chances are you guys can provide it. Sorry, there's um we have on average about 14 foot tides in Churchill. So even though it looks like the bay and the river is is frozen solid, there's still quite a bit of movement there. And when you get those pressure ridges uh, jamming up against each other, it creates some really cool ice formations, and and <laughs> it's different every time. So yeah, the sky is really the limit when it comes to to photo ops. Tell me or tell us or tell the audience. How does someone get to Churchill? So they take one of your tours, one of your Aurora tours coming up. What is the, it, it, it works for Canada too. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people that have never been to Churchill. So where do you fly to? How do you get there? How, can you do the train in the winter? I, I know when I went, I didn't do the train. I flew directly to Churchill. It was kind of expensive, but for my time and my schedule, that was the way I did it. But yeah, what would just kind of line all that stuff out so someone knows. Uh, well, you're you're actually pretty limited when it comes to uh, options of getting to Churchill because uh, there's only there's no roads that lead up here, um, so you're limited to just flying up or taking the train. Now, flying up is, uh, you know, it, it costs quite a bit. There's only one airline that flies up here. That's Calm Air, um, and we actually, because we're able to to book a certain amount of flights each year, they've actually extended a corporate rate to us. Uh, so we can help you out with a bit of a discount on on airfare, and then um, if if time isn't an issue, um, you can take the train up, um, and that's with Via Rail. That's kind of the national um, uh, rail service here in Canada. Um, and there's three trains a week uh, that d- depart Winnipeg on Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. Uh, so it takes pretty much 48 hours to get here by train from Winnipeg. And then your average trip. Aurora trip is how many days? Well, we put together a photography package. So that's, uh, that's seven days start to finish. It starts in Winnipeg and ends in, in Winnipeg. Um, it includes four nights of Aurora shooting. Uh, then we have a weekend getaway package that was kind of uh, geared more towards the domestic market. Um, so people that don't necessarily need accommodation in Winnipeg, uh, people that want to travel a little bit closer to home. Um, and then to cater to the uh, the independent traveler, people can come up to Churchill on their own and then sign up for our Aurora call list. So every night we have a list of people that want to be woken up if the Aurora is out. And um, if we see, well, if the Aurora is visible, we'll just go down that list and, uh, and start calling people up and telling them to gear up and we'll pick them up and we'll head out of town to, to view and photograph the Aurora. So we've covered... The uh, summer, the fall, polar bear season before the ice, and we've covered Aurora. 
Now, you guys offer some springtime opportunities as well, correct? Well, we're we're hoping to. Um, we haven't officially offered a birding tour yet, but uh, Churchill is an amazing birders destination as well. Um, I had the opportunity of working with a local birder last year named Rhonda Reed, and uh, and I think she counted over 250 different kinds of bird species in Churchill. We have a very unique, um, well, ecosystem here in that we're kind of right on the edge of the tundra, the boreal forest, and then we're right along the Hudson Bay shoreline as well. So we attract tons of, of shorebirds. So um, Drew hasn't ever been in Churchill in the springtime yet, and uh, and I'm looking forward to, to kind of sharing that with him. But um, yeah, we're, we're going to get into some bird photography and, and try to put together a birding tour for people and, and start flooding the, the internet with bird images from Churchill. It's got to be awesome. I mean, I've seen so many cool images from up there that, that there's not a lot. And that's what's cool about it is you could come up and get something that's totally different, right? I think the thing in the, the springtime that I really love is that, you know, days are obviously noticeably getting longer. Um, but after you've spent a winter in Churchill where it's kind of eerily quiet, um, you know, just hearing the migratory birds coming back and then all of a sudden you know, hearing that water uh, start to drip again when the ice melts, it's its really energizing to, to then just be surrounded by all that life again, you know? Well, and coming, coming from Alaska to here and seeing the opportunities that are outside of the traditional, uh, outside the traditional polar bear season or tourist season here in Churchill, um, it really is impressive. And I feel like the next few years, Churchill is going to be the kind of the, the off seasons, if you will, of Churchill are going to be the, the diamond in the rough as, as people realize, oh, you can come get all of these things all in one trip, whether it's the belugas, the aurora, um, polar bears, flowers, you know, close up macro stuff. Um, it's all just just right here. And one of the things we always, you know, so it's, it's polar bear season. We always get asked, can you see the northern lights and the polar bears at the same time? And then, which, you know, it's, that is the cloudy time of year. So if it happens, it happens. And then in the, in the Aurora season, we always get asked, well, can we see polar bears? Which, you know, during Aurora season is not necessarily the best time to run into a polar bear, given that most of your activities are happening at night and you're looking up. Uh, so it's, it's not, not ideal polar bear viewing scenario, but then we did have something come, uh, come up this year that we were able to offer uh, a combination trip where we're going to have, uh, uh, some nights of Aurora viewing on either end before we go down to a lodge in Wapusk National Park, uh, to watch the polar bear cubs come out of their dens. So it's a den, it's a den emergence combination trip with uh, with some aurora as well that we're really really stoked on for this year, and I think this yeah, I, I think this will air yeah I think this will air uh, before before they run so if anybody's listening to this you might be able to shoot shoot us a message we'll see if we've got a spot for you yeah and how how many of those are you going to do or what's the is there a couple of tours like that or is it just one and how many participants. Uh, we have two departures right now. We have one in February and one in March. Um, the denning season is, is really only about four and a half to five weeks long. So it's, it's a really short um, season. And the two departures that we have are kind of right in the middle of that season. Um, for us, we want to run the trips, uh, again, nice and small. So it's like six or seven people uh, per group. 
And, uh, and yeah, we still have a couple spots left. This, this kind of all came together really quick. Um, I've, I've been to, uh, Wapusk National Park twice now. And, um, you know, I've, I've always wanted to bring guests to there. Um, but it's, it's such a remote destination and it's in such high demand that it's, it's tough to secure spots. And <laughs> I know this isn't a sentence that often gets said, but I think because of COVID, we actually got lucky that. Um, some spots opened up and we were able to to jump on them. So um, we reached out to a number of people right away uh, that we knew had interest in uh, in doing this trip. And you know, it's it's kind of tough to to put together last minute, but um, yeah, we're we're excited to offer it this year, and then hopefully we can offer it on an annual basis moving forward. We'll put that link to those. Uh that opportunity and the show notes. So if you want to find it, it'll go right to your all's website so that you can see about that tour. And with two of them, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, it's a fun kind of adventure filled trip. I mean, you start, you, you fly into Winnipeg and then uh, you fly up to Churchill and we'll, we'll pick you up and we'll go looking for Aurora that night. And then, uh, and then we actually get to get down to the lodge. We'll, we'll get back on, we'll get on the train and get dropped off in the middle of nowhere and we're met by then vans on, tra- you know, the mat tracks like they used to use in Yellowstone or things like that. And uh, they take us into the lodge where we'll spend several days out looking for the, the polar bear cubs. And then we come back to Churchill just in reverse and do some more some more Aurora hunting. So the whole the trip, the whole adventure, you know, it's it's planes, trains and automobiles required to get you out to the middle of nowhere. Uh, and the whole time, you know, you're, it's primetime Aurora uh polar bear cubs like really it's the ultimate manitoba winter adventure like you really couldn't it's such an interesting combination to get on on uh in basically just a a two-week trip this is the ultimate i mean you you think about this spot for when you watch planet earth or you watch any bbc national geographic production where you see cubs there's a pretty good chance that this came from this area there's a few spots in Russia. I mean, there's a few spots elsewhere too where you can get this stuff, but I know it's a very popular spot. So if you're looking for those kind of images, you better jump on right now and get that uh, tour signed up. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. I was going to ask you, you, you said it earlier, Alex. So these trips leave from Winnipeg. So people have to get to Winnipeg. And then from there, you guys got them covered, right? Or is it, walk that walk through that for me just to make sure we've got it for the audience yeah i mean we've uh we've been able to to partner up with the courtyard marriott uh which is a hotel um a two minute walk away from uh from the airport here in winnipeg um and again because of the the volume of of you know tours and guests that we're running now on an annual basis we were able to secure a corporate rate with them um which we just pass on to our guests as well um i know you know, sometimes we can kind of make that optional. There's been people that, um, you know, would rather use points on, on hotels if, if they travel a lot. And so we can kind of customize that part of the trip. But um, yeah, I mean, we basically want to take care of you start to finish. So if somebody wants to do a trip, is it best for them to call you? I ha- To be honest, I haven't been through all the particulars on your website. Obviously, I've looked at all the tours and stuff, but if somebody wants to sign up, is it best just to email you or call you and just work directly with you to figure out all the, the itinerary and the, you know, all the little things that you got to figure out to make it happen? 
Yeah. Um, definitely take a look at the website. Uh, a lot of, there's a lot of good info on there. Um, <laughs> Drew and I usually end up calling guests anyways, just because, uh, it's a little bit more fluid to, to have a conversation with someone and, and kind of answer questions as they come up. Um, but the website has definitely has a lot of good info on there. Um, I would start there and then send us an email, um, send us an inquiry, let us know which dates you're interested in and, and then, um, and then, yeah, we can follow that up with a, a phone call just to kind of help you prepare for it, the trip. Cause we were talking about the logistics on, you know, say this, this, uh, this bear cubs and, and Borealis trip we were talking about it. I mean, it's a lot of logistics. And so really let us handle the, the logistics. We've really endeavored to make it a, uh, no muss, no fuss one price. And then we'll, we'll handle all those little, little details. Cause it can be tricky to navigate from, from afar. And yeah, and I mean, that's a really good point. It does get really tricky to, to manage, you know, the comings and goings of each individual guest, whereas keeping everyone together, um, there's, there's less opportunity for things to go wrong. I always have paralysis when I start looking into this stuff because it's like, I can't figure it out. And that's why I always go with someone like you guys just to figure it out so that I can focus on the photography or the, that sort of thing, the video, whatever I'm doing that's yeah. my important part so that's awesome that you guys offer that the number of opportunities the sheer volume of opportunity that you guys offer i think is uh, advantageous in and of itself but then when you add the ability to kind of customize a trip and and tailor it to a photography so you're not tied to a larger group i think that's the advantage or the big advantage so I want to get a polar bear in fireweed. Take a number. How do we do that? Yeah, those are, <laughs> those are coveted images. Is it? How hard is it? I mean, on a scale of one to ten, where where does it fall? It's. I mean, I I don't have any images of uh, of bears rolling around in the fireweed. Um, I know there's there's a couple areas that uh, you can explore up the coast. Um, and again, you know, that's one of the things that we're, we're hoping to do this summer is, is actually charter a Zodiac and, and go to some different locations. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging, but do So the way that's going to happen is it's going to be a beluga trip or a summer trip. You're going to be doing something else. And then that opportunity is going to be like, oh, there's a polar bear walking down through this vast field of fireweed. Let's get that. Yeah. The fireweed really only blooms from, uh, from it kind of starts that last week of July and then goes into mid-August. So there's there's kind of that small window there. What I was going to say for, for shots like that, there's uh, uh, bear karma does play a significant role in the ability mm -hmm. to, to get those shots and to get them regularly. And so, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you just got to, you know, it's, it's good, clean living while you're at home and then you can transfer that, just roll it on over uh, to your trip to Churchill. And uh, it's just, it's the Santa Claus principle. What are you saying, right. Michael, is you're not going to get that shot. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm going to have to spend five years trying to get it. You know, it, it is interesting. You know, we were talking about all the distinct seasons and the, the difference between polar bear season. And it really, it, polar bear season is like the hook that, that gets people interested in Churchill. And that's how most people know of Churchill. Um, and then, people say, well, what's it like in the summer? What's it, what's it like? And so we're, we're, we're starting to get 
more and more people who are, are trying to get the the year-round experience. So once they've been here, they've done the polar bear season. Oh, they're well, let's check out the belugas. And so, so we've got a lot of repeat folks that have just been coming back season after season uh, to try and try and experience the 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 full spectrum of what's what's available. Yeah, and I, I think we have Dave and, and Jenny um, committed to experiencing Churchill in the in the summertime. So that's it's exciting to get them back up here and experience a different season. And uh, and I, I you know what I want to give um, I want to give Jenny and Brooke actually a shout out for um, for specifically booking uh, another tour earlier in our season. It's, um, they came up with us. Uh, well, the first time they came up, they came uh, a little bit later in the season when there was already snow and, and ice formed and they were happy with those shots that they got, but um, they wanted to come back and, and photograph something different. And I know that um, a lot of the shots that they got this past year, a little bit earlier in the season when there wasn't snow on the ground yet, they were still really powerful and kind of um, helped tell a story of, of climate change and, and how it was actually a bit of a later freeze up. So yeah, I mean, think about that when it comes to diversifying your portfolio for photography as well as, you know, photographing bears on snow is cool, but um, there's definitely other opportunities to photograph bears. We talk all the time on the podcast where, especially with photography, if you're going to set yourself apart, you have to have something different, right? Sounds mm -hmm. like you guys are op offering an opportunity to get something different that not everybody else is going to have. You do have the getting to Churchill since you can only get there a certain way, you know, you can't drive there. Not everybody can go on, on a whim. It's planning and there's some things going on. So if you're one of those people that's looking to change up your portfolio or add something completely different, that sounds like what you guys are offering is, is that, you know, and it's, it's um, those opportunities to get polar bears and fireweed. Well, in fall colors, tundra, you know, it's, particularly if you're looking to tell a conservation story, like here we're dealing with the icons of the Arctic, they're, they're, uh, and they're, you know, various threatened status or endangered status, depending on, on which country you're in. But if you're trying to tell a conservation story, uh, you do need those, those different backdrops. You do need those different aspects of a polar bear's life to really uh, paint uh an accurate picture of what these bears are going through in terms of, of time on land and, and going through the lean times. Uh, so yeah, the opportunity for that is, is here. So, so if you're looking to tell a story about polar bears, give us a shout. Well, and Chaz, we've interviewed him a couple of times on the podcast and he has a super powerful image of moose from up there. And I believe he was up there shooting polar bears, but you know, there's the opportunity to get, just such a variety from what shorebirds and and migrating birds to moose to arctic fox to red fox um beluga i mean it's just endless so if you want to diversify that portfolio i think it's worth a call yeah i was just thinking about the birds actually one of my favorite birds we had a peregrine falcon take up snow bunting right in front of our vehicle this year and then we had a bunch of sightings of uh white phase jeer falcons which is kind of a unique uh a unique bird that we have uh have here in churchill and they're one that sticks around all winter too so we're always keeping an eye out for them um do they yeah, really for, yeah yeah there was actually a viral video that winter they, yeah, there was actually a viral video a few years ago where a white-faced jeer falcon landed on the uh, the Aurora webcam that we've got out at the Northern Studies Center, and so it's looking at the 
look at itself in the reflection and things like that. It had frost on its, well, birds probably don't have eyelashes. So I'm assuming it's some sort of feather they have on their face. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it was, yeah, it's, they're, they're still around. What else? We, we've got a lot of ptarmigan. What about owls? Snowies. I'm sure you've got the snowies and probably, what about great grays or northern hawk owls or great horned well, owls? The only time that I've seen a great gray was uh, was a few years back and, and Drew and I were actually going for a cruise looking for wildlife and, uh, and we happened to spot this great gray. And then uh, he actually just spotted one, what was it, last week or a couple of weeks ago, yep. uh, walking his dogs. But most people are, are picturing the snowies. You'll see them out on the tundra. Um, you know, this time of year, you, you are seeing a lot of snowies probably in your Instagram feed because they've all gone south. Uh, so we don't have them this time of year. Um, but we'll catch them out on the tundra uh, periodically uh, looking for, for lemmings and voles and things like that. Um, oh, so now we could get a polar bear and a snowy in fire week. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just added to the <laughs> list. We'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do. You get that on your second or third trip. You gotta, yeah. you gotta be a repeat. You, <laughs> you know, that's one of those shots that everybody's gonna have their long lenses, and then the person with the iPhone's gonna get it. Well, what else? Do you, anything you guys want to add to the actual services that you offer, or something we didn't cover? I think we've covered just about everything. And I think what you want to do is go to your website. You can go to our show notes page, and I'll have a link right to your website, or you guys can go directly to their website and see all the tours that you offer. But is there anything that we've missed that we should definitely talk about just in this format? I feel like we've, we've covered tons. Um, and I noticed that you guys already had uh, our two Aurora packages listed. So thank you for that. Um, that's awesome. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm going to add to that too. So what he's referring to is if you go to the Wild and Exposed website and go to wildandexposed.com slash workshops, there's a list of different uh, tours that we are highlighting some of our own we've got a couple of bear trips but then and we're going to add to it ron's going to do some stuff and jason's doing some stuff but i thought working with alex and and drew it was a good opportunity to highlight a lot of their trips because they're not they're more catered to our audience than some of the other trips where you might get paired up with someone that's just there for not photography which oftentimes limits your opportunities as a photographer because a tour operation has to cater to everybody. So they're constantly trying to, to skirt around everybody's needs. But with your tours, it's more of the photography slant. So you're going to get way more opportunity to get what you really want to get. If you go with you guys, it's the Churchill experience where we're really trying to, uh, to share with people what has drawn us here and uh, what hopefully will keep people coming back for years to come. Yeah, no, I think it's awesome. All right, Ron, anything else from you? Nothing for me. I, I was kind of sitting back most of the time and just absorbing and writing down on my annual schedule when I need to be up there. <laughs> there is not enough time in the day or in the year or in a life to do it all. So this should rank right up there for most people. The beluga trip yeah. piques my interest almost as much as polar bears, to be honest. Well, you know that, and that's part. Of, that's a major draw for me too, because I, uh, one of my my former jobs in Alaska, I worked as a marine mammal observer, and one of the things we we were always on the lookout for was beluga whales. And when you'd spot them in Alaska, you know, it's with binoculars or something, looking. Oh, that little white spot way out there is a. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, 
oh yeah, that's a beluga. And then you come here and you start, you know, going through Alex's Instagram and seeing the, the full face beluga whale shots as they're, they're looking up at you. And I'm just really, uh, really excited about that opportunity. We've actually, we've had to put prop guards on all of our, uh, our vessels because they, they're attracted to the bubbles that the, the prop creates. Um, so often you can just be trolling around and you'll get a, a pod of beluga whales following you. Um, so yeah, to, to protect the, uh, the belugas from the props, we now have prop guards on all of our vessels. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're quite literally bumping into the boat. When you say a pod, what, what's the average size? What does it range from? Could it be from two to 200 or could it be from two to 15? So belugas generally travel together in, in pods of 10 to 15. Um, and there's, there's no real, like they, you can have families that travel together or you can just have, you know, beluga buddies that, that communicate with each other and, and jive well together. And, and, you know, they can join one pod one day and then join a different pod another day. But generally you're looking at, at 10 to 15 in a pod of whales that are kind of traveling together. You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review. And make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're gonna make it someday. Nothing's gonna get in our way. We will be the biggest band in town.